The reading is taken from Genesis 1, 1 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you so much, uh, Rachel, uh, for that reading. It's, um, it's a joy to be uh, sharing in this uh, chapel service today. I get to uh, reflect with people about why their work matters to God in many different places. Um, but it's less common, as it happens, it's less common to do so with people in their very place of work. So as we come to God's word together, Heavenly Father, we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us and what we've heard read to us this lunchtime. May it indeed be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path as we seek to follow Christ in the whole of our lives. Well, this is um, the first of a, a little series of three talks on revolutionary work. And why revolutionary? Well, uh, revolutionary can mean all kinds of things, particularly in a place like this. But in this case, I'm thinking about the idea of something being far-reaching and of having profound impact. In other words, how does the Bible invite us to approach our work so that through it we align ourselves with God's rich purposes in the world? So this week we're going to explore the, the place of work, looking at uh, the, this passage in Genesis 1, and then we're going to look um, next week at fruitfulness at work, and then finally identity at work. Well, it's so easy to miss, isn't it, that our everyday work really matters to God, that it's not an also ran and amongst the many worthy things that God might be concerned about. And in, indeed, um, you know, he is concerned about many different things that matter, feeding the poor, um, inviting people to come to place their trust in it in him. And these things absolutely matter, but our own daily work matters too. God's capacity to wrap that up into his purposes in the world is immense. And when we do see what he's doing through our work, then it can make all the difference in the world. And so from that perspective, I suggest it is revolutionary from a biblical perspective. Now, I want to give you a very quick example of that before we then look at Genesis, how Genesis starts to make sense of why our work matters to God. Uh, Victoria is a 19-year-old apprentice hairdresser. And about three weeks um, into her job, her vicar prayed for her and commissioned her into her new role. And uh, sometime later, we had the opportunity to ask her, Victoria, what difference what difference does it make that you're a Christian to the way that you wash somebody's hair? What difference does being a Christian make? Well, Victoria replied, I pray for them 
as I massage in the conditioner. Victoria's praying is an invisible gift to her clients, balm for the soul as well as balm for their hair. And behind her prayers, if you like, behind her prayers lie a whole set of beliefs that her daily context in that hairdressing salon is important to God, that the actual work that she does matters to him too and can be done in a distinctive way, that God indeed is alive and can move in a hairdressing salon, that God wants to bless her clients and she can be part of that. Well, as you know, the workplace is one of the most significant contexts in which we live out our faith. It's where we might spend a third of our waking lives, where we interact with tens, scores, sometimes hundreds of people in a week. It's a massive opportunity. And often work can be problematized, if you like. It's a thing that can be exhausting, sometimes futile, in some places toxic. Work's the thing that prevents me from getting home to be a better mum or a dad or a spouse or a husband, uh, a son, a daughter, a friend, and so on. But work is actually a gift from God, an intention, a deep blessing to the worker, to their co-workers, to the workplace that they're in, and through their work, to the people that they serve. So let's come to look at Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God went to work. He created. Let there be, let there be, let there be. Land light, uh, sky, land, vegetation, sun and moons and stars, living creatures in the seas and the skies, on the land, let there be humankind. This is the God who planned, created, reviewed, finished and appreciated. It's good. Perhaps here is his performance appraisal for week one, the end of the first week. It's good, 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 good. Very good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So looking a little bit more closely then, what does God's work do? Genesis um, 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. What is God doing here? He's bringing order out of chaos. The sky is gathered to one place, the dry grounds to another. So I wonder, in the work that you do, how does your work bring order? How does it sort out mess? And we see it in so many roles. The refuse collector bringing order to our streets, the accountant bringing order to our finances, the administrator bringing order to how things get done. And through his work, God provides for life. By the time he creates Adam on day six, there's ground to stand on, air to breathe, a gorgeous environment to enjoy, delicious, nutritious food um, to eat, water to drink, animals to look after, purposeful work to be done in the garden. And so he not only provides, but his work brings joy, brings pleasure to Adam and Eve. And I wonder, in what ways might your work 
bring joy. Well, there's joy in a simple meal, well prepared. There's joy in a well-designed form. There's joy in a well-run meeting. And then what about beauty? The world that God creates is a beautiful place. Beauty matters. You can create beauty in something as small as the way that biscuits are laid out on a plate. As well as the making of a beautiful film that communicates something significant. And of course beauty isn't only visual. There's work that preserves beauty as those who collect our rubbish from our streets do. And then Genesis tells us God creates with potential and abundance. The waters teem, the land is productive. God blesses humanity and says, be fruitful and multiply. So there's work that releases potential. The seed that becomes a sapling, that becomes the apple tree, that produces the fruit that feeds us and with seeds that will produce more. Sand that can be turned into glass or silicon chips. So I wonder, how does the work that we do cultivate potential in the world, in people, and in resources? So what is this big picture of God revealed to us in Genesis 1? I suggest that the God described in this first chapter is a God who creates a context where human beings can flourish creating a context where human beings can flourish. I mean, that's what a good parent does, tries to create a a home in which everyone in the family can flourish. That's what we all do when we go about creating a a home, creating a place where we and our friends can come, relax, rest, be refreshed and strengthened. It's what a good manager does. As one senior manager put it, my role is to roll the rocks off the runway so that other people can fly. To create an environment in which the team can give their best. Yes, of course there are limits to the joys and the satisfactions we can expect from our work, as Genesis 3 goes on to tell us. Nevertheless, we can ask, how does my work, your work, bring order, provision, joy, beauty, release potential. And in the midst of the pressures of parliamentary life, the enormous complexities of our times, the stress and unresolved tensions, the workload that we go back to this afternoon, each one of us can still commit to God's big project, creating a context where human beings can flourish in our office, in our teams, at our desk, in our nation. Your work, I suggest, is revolutionary. And when we look at Genesis 1, we observe, and we observe the work of God in creation, I think we see three main facets that apply to our own work. Firstly, that work has intrinsic value. In other words, as we've just seen, God gets to work. God is a work. In other words, our work has intrinsic value, but because it reflects a work of God. 
our work has intrinsic value because it reflects something of God himself. And secondly, I, I suggest that our work has instrumental value. It has intrinsic value and it has instrumental value in that it gets done what God wants getting done. People get fed because of farmers and engineers and distributors and supermarkets and food banks and policies and parents and more. There is so much that gets done in the world that is worth doing. Feeding your family, caring for your kids, creating art and beauty and communities that work and healing the sick and providing for the poor, protecting the elderly, making communication work, building homes, infrastructure that enables human beings to flourish. There is much good to be done, much good culture to cultivate. And that's what we get a glimpse of in Genesis 1, what God is up to. And thirdly, I suggest that our work has relational value in that it contributes to the well-being of others. It has relational value also in that it can enhance our own relationship with the God who created us. Your work matters, not least, because you matter to him. In other words, he is interested in how you use the talents the freedoms, the opportunities, the power, the resources that he's given you. Of course he would be interested in you. He thought of you before the foundation of the earth. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Why wouldn't he be interested in what you do with how he's made you? A little while back, um, a colleague of mine was in a small group discussion and the group leader had asked a slightly awkward question. Um, what are you good at in the Lord at work? What are you good at in the Lord at work? It's, you know, it's a slightly odd question, really. And to overcome the understandable silence that came after asking that question, he said he got people to write down their responses on a post-it note, which was quite clever, and then to read them out. And um, Mike was the first guy to speak. Uh, and this is what he said, he said, as you know, he said, I'm part of an armed protection unit at a place not far from here. It's a pretty macho group of people. And over the years, there's been quite a lot of conflict. And I found that I'm pretty good at bringing people back together. And that was all that he said. And there was a pause. There was a pause in the room. And then another man spoke up. He said, so, he said, you have a ministry of reconciliation. And someone else said, yes, you're a peacemaker. Work is valuable because through it we can use the gifts that God has given us and express praise to him for the way that he's made us. For everything that we do, is important to the Redeemer Lord because everything that we do has an impact on his creation and on those created in his image, people. Indeed, biblically, it's not what you do that determines its value, it's who you do it for. It's not even how well you do something, it's in whose strength you do it and whose glory 
it's done, that determines its eternal worth. And it's so easy, isn't it, to go day by day and never ask for God's help in the things that we do day by day by day. Your work matters because it's something that we are meant to do with Christ, in Christ, as well as for Christ. In other words, it's revolutionary. And we don't always see it. But as Genesis 1 reveals to us, our work has intrinsic value we are image bearers of a God who works. And our work has instrumental value because through it we contribute to the purposes of God in creating a context in which human beings can flourish. And our work has relational value with others and with God himself. Our work matters to him and your work matters to him. You matter to him. So before we sing our last hymn. I just want to pray. In the beginning, God created. God went to work. And we thank you, Father God, for the intrinsic value, the instrumental value, the relational value of that which we do through our various roles and responsibilities. And we offer you our work as our worship. And in the pressure of our working day, our daily work, even today, may we have fresh eyes on the scope of its potential to serve your purposes in the world. May your word be a lamp to our feet and our light to our path as we seek to follow Christ in the whole of our lives and in this place.